Welcome to the Collector Gamers Podcast. Today is Sunday, August 6th. This is, epi- or is it the 6th or the 5th? 6th. It's 6th, yeah. The uh, episode 199. Mm, almost there. Almost there. Just about. I don't know. what. Are we doing anything for episode 200? I don't know. We have the hmm. the new little art package we could yes, do. Yes, yes. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that at episode 200, I think. So I think that'll be fun. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. You know, we don't do things like, uh, you know, asking for clip comments and stuff. We don't. We're very tired. We've been at this a long time. A We're long just a couple of time. old men just kind of getting done. So have you done anything the last couple of weeks other than sit in your rocking chair and rock? No. Mm. I feared that. It, it, <laughs> I say that. It, it, it's been busy, uh, but nothing interesting. Mm. I mean, how life is sometimes where you, where you like, you're constantly doing stuff, but it's sure. like nobody actually cares about working around the house or work or, or whatever. It's just been, they might care. Probably not. Probably they not. might. No, it, it's been the normal, let's call it normal day to day type stuff okay. at a higher level than normal. Mm. Well, uh, game wise, I've, uh, I've been mostly playing Puzzle Quest 3 over the last couple of weeks. I did get through the, I believe, based off of I've seen the credits twice, the second part of the three, the trilogy of Phoenix Wright. But I haven't started the new section you yet. You haven't started the new one? The second one was just like one giant case, and it just took a lot out of me. Because <laughs> I kept thinking, oh, I'm going to get through this tonight. And then I didn't. And then I had to keep, you know, do little chunks. So uh, I've been, and I have started Resident Evil 3, uh, but I'm not very far in that. And right. I figured, you know what? Let me finish Phoenix first. But I've been chugging along in the puzzle quest story. So I actually yesterday wrapped up uh, chapter 11. So uh, I thought maybe there were only 10 chapters. I know they keep adding stuff to it, but uh, I wasn't sure exactly how far along I'd go. So anyway, uh, 10, currently, 10 is they not currently have 43 chapters. They probably available. do. And they keep adding these new other things, which sometimes I go with, but it depends where my, like I have to look at where my gear's at to see if it's, if it's something I can actually do or not, or if I just get owned. Uh, but part of the problem is it assumes clearly that I'd be further in the story for some of that stuff. So even though my gear level is actually easier than continuing the main story, I don't know half the characters they're showing me that are supposed to be in my party, apparently, but I don't, I haven't met them yet. Cause every, <laughs> basically every chapter uh, so far in the main story gets you a new companion, which is just part of the dialogue between the battles and, and stuff. And either you have it's a, the stuff you just skip, 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 skip. It's like three sentences. I mean, this is like, right. Again, they got to drag it all out. So this is like, here's a couple of lines of text. And now here have two fights. that will take, uh, you know, eight minutes. And then here's another set of text that will take you to 15 seconds to read. And then here's it's another not, fight. It's not That's like where when you get to the end, of an RPG and you're like, you don't know why you're fighting the big bad or why he's the big bad because you've just skipped everything up to that point. And you're just like, whatever, I've, let's I've go. Never, I've never really, I, I was going to say never been that bad. There have been a couple of games, but not RPGs where they, there is a story and I realize that the story is quite stupid and I do start skipping it. Yeah. So, but generally I don't do that. Um, and a lot of times I don't even finish those games because I've just all of a sudden the, the like the story was bad and they must have thought there was a reason to put the story in. And a lot of times that reason, in my opinion, is that the mechanic is bad too. So then <laughs> if you're not enjoying the story and the game isn't fun uh, on a mechanical level, there's no reason to continue the journey. You're on so, your 12th really poor escort yeah. mission in a row. Yeah. Things like that. Um, so, and then, uh, not related to pinball and video games, but, uh, hopefully won't be too disruptive to us on the podcast, but I uh, submitted my notice of resignation from my job. So my last day will be the end of this month and I'm starting a new job in September. So that will be a big shakeup because I've been with the association that I'm at for getting close to four and a half years at this point. But I thought it was, I had a, there was an opening that I thought was a good opportunity and it, and it worked out and I think it'll be a good change for me. I'll be, based a lot closer i've always professionally i've always been based like 60 miles away is where my official office now you're is. based in your bedroom because it's only yeah. fans <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to make too much money so yeah that's what my i think you got you gotta stay humble you don't want hubris uh, so so anyway so yeah no the the office here is like a mile and a half away uh for this job so uh getting obviously uh i've been thus i i told my governing board and the membership of the association this week. And 
So I'm trying to set everything up to, because basically they have a month's notice, but uh, there's a lot to do. Like this is a small organization. So there's a lot to do to try and get everything ready for if they aren't ready to onboard someone when I leave, I'm hoping at the very least they might have a candidate picked. Or if not that, I want to leave as many pieces to help. Like I don't want them to be in the boat I was. I was, I really struggled when I came in and I, there was even someone with institutional knowledge uh, and I know the person who, who my predecessor, and I, I didn't want to be overly bothersome with them, but there were just a lot of pieces like, what do you need to do like every month? What sort of things are, are part of your main planning for the year? Like I'm writing a guide to all that because mm-hmm. I didn't have anything like that. And it was, so I just kind of had to spend the whole first year learning what the pattern was. And then I was able to, you know, focus on where I wanted to make changes and, and where I wanted to keep that pattern going. So I'm trying to let everyone know, like, here are the contracts that are coming up. Here are your main sources of revenue. Uh, here are the deadlines that you need to start thinking about for moving all of these things forward. Here's how the reporting works. It's actually not that long of a document. Obviously, I'm not hitting every single thing, but so yeah, I've been we, spending a lot of time with that. We have a continuity document that we mm. keep updated. Yeah, a lot of larger organizations do. And it's smart to have something where I already like maintained a list of like key logins and stuff because if something happens to me, people need to be able to get in, like the board needs to be able to get in and change the bank accounts and all of that sort of stuff. So I already have that for uh, myself and my my uh, one other employee. Like I say, you know, make sure you maintain this because we you, you don't want to do it when you're like getting ready to leave. You want to just always have right. it. But um, we don't we don't really have anything that explains a lot of the duties, or at least I couldn't find anything in the in the historical record of our of our cloud storage. So I was like, I'll just write one. And yeah, it's not been too bad to do. But but uh, every time I think of something, I have to go back in, update that, and then we've already started the job search. So and I think as of Friday. Uh, we have 16 applications in because I'm organizing those. I'm actually writing uh, my thoughts on like the pros and cons just based off the resumes so that uh, we actually have a meeting in a couple of days with me and the executive committee to start winnowing that down to who they want to offer first uh, interview options to. Um, unfortunately, uh, a lot of the applications uh, in my view aren't really good fits. So I don't know how many they'll want to interview. But again, it's like it's posted on my assistant posted it on LinkedIn. That's where a lot of the uh, less quality one I don't it's kind of mean to say, but I think a lot of people just have their resume stored and they're just like, oh that sounds neat. And they they fire fire off something. Yeah. It's nothing like, oh, it's someone who didn't graduate high school applying for the job, for example. Uh, it's not like that. And we keep the and maybe I shouldn't have done that, but we do keep the bare minimum requirements pretty limited. I've kept them the same as it was when I applied. And it's actually, you read it and you'll be like, wow, this job, this uh, this application job description is like written for, for, it sounds like it's written for an organization that really struggles to find someone because yeah. it, seems, it seems like really, really mild. But I, I, I restructured it and enhanced it with a lot of preferred stuff. And so I'm judging these off of the preferred list. So I'll... Uh, Pretty much everyone has something that is in the preferred list, but the preferred list of skills is like a half dozen items, and I don't think there's anyone that has all of them, which is not surprising because it's such a weird hodgepodge of work. It'd be very difficult to meet all of those expectations. But anyway, keeping me busy, but obviously not too busy to do this recording today. That works. Yes. Definitely so, going to be good luck to you. That'll be an interesting change. Yeah, uh, hopefully they hopefully they still like me after a few weeks of putting up with me. This is, I've never worked for an organization this large. I've always been with small entities with less than ten FTE. Yeah. So this is going to be very very because this is a, a couple hundred, I think. So it's going to be very different for me. It will be, I'll be very in, different. I'll be back in government though, just like you, just like me. You're a member of the government. That's right. Except Start. for you're, you'll be the popular side of government. You're, you're the side they throw money at as opposed to me where they just mm. don't. Well, most people like the public doesn't hate what you do. Well, uh, there's a faction. There's a faction that doesn't that's bought into the misinformation on public health. And right. Still right, be right. In public you health, have a so. faction that hates what you do, but mm. they still send you money where my my side is just like, we don't want to think about that. It's important, but I'm sure they're fine. They don't need budget or money or mm. you know anything but your system operates off of a fee model right so that's like where your your income comes from a dedicated not like it taxes. comes it, it comes from a dedicated fee 
See, yeah. you have a fee for service. We do have a fee for service, and we're really lucky that it comes from a fee for service. It's just too bad that the fee for service does not necessarily reflect the realities of costs mm. in this day and age. Yes, well, that's often a challenge. Uh, and uh, no, my my understanding is there are probably similar challenges uh, for the for the organization that I'm joining. There is a difference, I suppose, in that there have been some significant gains on the state side for funding, uh, but that's because I got those for <laughs> everyone in the state, which might have helped with the interview. Right. I didn't ask. That's why during the interview, I didn't, you, you I just didn't opened ask. the interview with uh, the song, You're Welcome, from Moana. I, I I did resist saying You're Welcome, but I did discuss the finance, because it was probably my biggest uh, contribution that a lot of departments would have uh, recognized, uh, because, um, I mean, it was, especially in a in a organization as large as this one, they got. I mean, they got a lot. They get more than double what they got three years ago. Right. So it's been pretty significant. Uh, speaking of significance, unfortunately, pinball. Uh, we don't like have a new game to talk about or anything. We we did Venom on the last episode, so uh, I do have a discussion topic for us. But I do want to go ahead and just sort of quickly tear through some of the news items just for folks that or for whatever reason, turning to us for the kind of current events thing. Uh, just like we do with video games. So uh, let's do some quick, like almost a, a coast to coast, Nate, uh, five fast fo- thoughts, uh, even though I only have four items. Uh, so, and, and they're not necessarily going to be fast and not necessarily, but I think they will be pretty quick. So uh, first thing I wanted to note is Stern pinball has uh, issued to their distribution network, their last call for, Avengers Affinity Quest and the Iron Maiden pinball machines. These are both uh, Elwin designs. Iron Maiden was his first game mm-hmm. that he ever developed. And then I believe Avengers was his third. I believe he did Jurassic Park after Iron Maiden, I think is the order. And then eventually, anyway, so those two are our last calls. If you want to uh, try and get in an order for a new inbox. And it's noteworthy only in that, Elwin's obviously been designing for a few years now, and this is just, it had to come at some point. But interestingly, this is the first time he's had a game leaving the production schedule. I'm like actually he, surprised by that. I'm surprised. I'm also surprised these two games didn't leave the production schedule before this. Uh, I, I've been surprised at how strong I, all of his games are relatively popular. So I, I do understand that they weren't like uh, Led Zeppelin, which is kind of seemed right. to go away in the blink of an eye and no one cared. Uh, so in that regard, I, I'm not surprised at this stage that these would be going. I'm also not disp- I, I'm not surprised that Avengers would be the first because it's also his lowest rated. Right. Uh, and actually, probably not probably. It's the one of his I've played that I like the least as well. So that isn't. I, I still enjoy it, but I like I'd never buy it. Uh, Iron Maiden, though, it's, it's been so long as his first. Right. That's, and that's the, what's that's the shocking part. That's the one that I, and I, it's I just such been surprised. A niche. Uh, theme. Yes, the biggest reason I've heard people that don't want the game is because they don't like that it's Iron Maiden. Right. Which again, yeah, yeah. that's how themes are. Uh, so, okay. So anyway, just interesting piece of information there. Uh, another interesting Stern-oriented piece of information, Jeremy Packer, also known as Zombie Yeti, the artist, he's actually been officially hired by Stern Pinball. He's been working under contract for a right. very long time, which is not unusual for Pinball to do with artists because a lot of times, how do they keep them busy enough? Right. Uh, they have like an art director who's been on staff at Stern for a long time. Uh, I believe that's Greg Ferrer's. But uh, I'm not shocked at this news. It feels like we basically just, I know it's not 100% true, but it's very easy, especially when we have back-to-back games like Foo Fighters and Venom. It sometimes feels like there's been a lot of Zombie Yeti art saturation coming out, uh, right. out of Stern. Well, as I recall, he took a break from pinball for a while, a short time. And then came back. But I, you know, I don't, I just, I don't know well enough about his, it, the schedule changes, like the order of games change. He's had a couple instances where he's had back to back games. And I always found that a little weird, but I know the schedule changes on the games. And then I think he kind of is a victim to that change because it's right. not, the decisions doesn't seem to be based off of the art. So for example, we see Venom and Foo being back to back. And there was another instance, I think uh, it might have been, was it Avengers and Turtles or something that was back to back? And he did both of those art pack. I don't remember anymore, but uh, but things like that. Right. So, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting road, uh, I think, for him. But but, you know, congratulations to him. Obviously, his art packages are loved. Even the ones that are the most criticized are still seen as as some of the highest level work that pinball has ever seen. 
And so this this is a logical move, I think, on Stern's part to go yeah. ahead and lock him in and not, especially if they have him as an employee. I'm sure they they are, are able to ensure that his art isn't on other pinball machines moving forward. Not right. that it really has. I mean, obviously, his first game he was going to have art for conceptually was a Zidware game from J-Pop, but that never happened for reasons that we will not get into on this episode because that is ancient history, and I I need to brush up. And that Zidware, Zid, you could have a whole history episode. That should be a Silver Ball Chronicles episode. They need to do a, an episode on the history of Zidware. They might as well. It's done, so they can right. They can go I start mean, to finish. We've talked it. about it enough times in the past. Unless they've already done one. I've already forgot about it. I don't think they did, though. Anyway, uh, doesn't matter. Uh, next piece of news. Uh, Nick Baldridge, host of uh, For Amusement Only, the EM and Bingo Pinball Podcast, if I remember the long name right. It's been a long time since I've said that whole mouthful. Yeah. He's also, he's developed a number of games. He has For Amusement Only games at this point, where which is the company he established, and he sells his module drained for the P3 system out mm-hmm. under. Well, it was announced by Multimorphic Pinball that Nick has joined them officially as a customer support representative. So... He is now an, uh, I guess, an official multimorphic team member, and he will be helping people with, uh, with support issues that call in and ask for help. So congratulations! Congratulations! Yeah, I think he was already helping a lot of people. So yeah, again, this I, is I probably a, it was one of those. It's probably just... a logical step to go ahead and have. I mean, Nick is one of the most intelligent people I know in pinball. He's probably forgotten more about pinball than I will ever know. For example, yeah, and so in that regard. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think it's pretty safe to say he's pretty much the would be the premier third party developer for uh, the multimorphic system. You know, he's his work is more interesting to me than the uh, the I'm trying to think there haven't been a lot of other third party like one. There was a there was a game early on in the P3's life cycle. That's a third party. I don't remember what it was. It was that that. Pitch and bat style game, I think, is what it was. I don't remember the name of it. Um, and I don't know which is sold better. Like, right. That one had years worth of head start. So it depends how we think of the of the word premiere. Um, but what I do think of is he's definitely the most pr- prolific third party to, because he's got uh, Silver, what, Silver Falls. He has uh, the drained one, which right. has its own you know, module. He has Ranger in the Ruins. Uh and then uh, I won't count his his one-off quest for glory because no one can have that but him because of licensing. So he's got multiple uh, uh, titles at this point. So in that regard, uh, definitely the most prolific. And my assumption based off of how this write-up is, is any more game development that happens, I mean, he spooled up for amusement-only games. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing, I haven't asked Nick this, but I think it would be a safe uh, assumption that he'll continue to develop third-party when it comes to game development, this is very much just a customer service uh, employment contract sort of thing where he'll and right. I think they I think they went in more details like uh, what times he's available. I think it's more of an after hours time when a lot of people are home anyway uh, to outside of the what you would think of as normal office hours like he's covering a set sort of. Because they already had customer support, right. like Multimorphic doesn't wasn't operating without any customer support. This is just a, an enhancement to their team. So congratulations to him on that. And our last piece of news, um, HomePin. Um, there was a statement about the shipping of Spinal Tap. And Spinal Tap's a, a little confusing because we've already talked about, well, Spinal Tap's in the wild already. Like the Pinball Hall of Fame in Vegas has Spinal Tap. Right. Technically, and this was sort of clarified, I guess, by Mike, the owner of HomePin, on an episode of the Aussie Pinball podcast that Dr. John uh, did as an interview with Mike. Uh, all of those games of Spinal Tap that are out are technically all prototypes. So, which I did not know originally, but that's how Mike views it: is those were shipped prototypes. No one else has gotten it. Like those have been out, and then there have been no more that have been right. shipped. And approximately, this was uh, I saw this a few days ago. At this point, uh, in about a week, according to Mike, there should be uh, the shipping of the regular production game should start in about a week from now, from when people hear this episode. Okay. So. So, I mean, congratulations to them finally getting to that point. Um, I don't have this in our internal notes, Tony, but there I saw, I think it was probably Nap Arcade. I don't have the link to this because I wasn't planning to bring it up until this just came across my mind. But uh, there was talk that apparently the uh, movie Animal House theme is now tagged with a uh, for license for pinball. 
And I've thought if any company was going to try and do Animal House, it would be up Homepin's alley, given the choice of Spinal Tap. Yeah, uh, as, I can and see Thunderbirds, that. both very old titles, uh, well past their prime. Right. Um, what do you do? You think? Just as a quick aside, do you think uh, Animal House would make a good pinball machine? It is definitely what you would call a nostalgia button game. That that would be for sure. But Animal House is one of those really popular movies from back in the day that I don't know how well it would actually do nowadays. Like uh, Revenge of the Nerds and all those other hmm. movies that were super uh, yeah, popular yeah. in the 80s. Porkies. I don't really see a place for a lot of those. Now, to be fair, Animal House isn't as bad as those two. Hmm. Uh, I'd, I'd say they're stronger in nostalgia for Animal House. Than but it's definitely, I don't know. I could... I don't see it personally, but a lot of games come out that I don't see where the draw is. So yeah, I uh, I watched. I mean, I saw Animal House uh, probably when I was in high school, and right. uh, it just it didn't latch on. Like I wasn't as entertained by it as some other people that have kind of raised it to cult status, and maybe that's because I I didn't go in with this huge fondness for for Belushi, which carries the, because right. I didn't see a lot of it. Like I didn't know him from Saturday Night Live or anything. I, I don't have that. Didn't have the same background like I would with like a Dana Carvey movie because I remember right. seeing Dana Carvey on TV as a comedian and things like that. Uh, so for me, absolutely not. Uh, as a license, yeah, it definitely pushes a nostalgia button. If, but quite bluntly, if Homepin's doing it, I don't think it moves units. Well, no. So obviously, it's kind not. Of moved. I mean, if there again, we don't know who's doing it, but but that's the guess. Um, my guess. All right, moving on. Uh, before our discussion topic, we have an email that came into the. Uh, this is this actually came pretty shortly after our last episode. So I've been sitting on this one for a little bit, but obviously we haven't recorded until this episode. Okay. So this is from Shannon B. And Shannon writes, <clears throat> Dennis, stop shortchanging your pinball abilities. You are good enough, smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like you. Oh, he didn't say darn it. He said, and gosh darn, people like you. Smiley face. I'm older than you, and I can hang a bit. With the young guys, so you can do it too. The truth is somewhere in between. Don't quit over the noobs. You can be a winner. Thank you, uh, Shannon, for writing that inspirational email to <laughs> eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail.com. And folks, you can also try and inspire me by writing to the said email account, and I'll be more than happy to share your inspirational messages with the listening audience. Um, you can do it, Dennis. Okay. I be- Here, here's the thing. You don't have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in the me. Who believes in you? Mm. See that that's an interesting that's an interesting okay. <laughs> I think I need to I think I need to do a little bit of clarification because I maybe I maybe I laid it on a little thick on the last uh on the last episode about the the you know pinball and the competitive and the you know being realistic and, and I'm a big big believer in being realistic. Do you know who the most unrealistic and this is again just my opinion? Who do you think the most unrealistic class of people like who pushes this unrealistic sort of view on accomplishment? Oh, it's so. totally me. I, I, I meant as like a category, like as a stereotype, not obvious. You fall into this, but <laughs> but maybe not for the reason you think. Parents. Because you're a parent. Because parents want their children to believe they can do anything. So they tell them that. And then you get a little Miss Sunshine where your kid goes quiet for four years, giving you peace, and then they find out they're colorblind and they can't be a pilot. They can't do everything because that's how just how the world works. And it's all your fault. You gave well, them I didn't false take hope. Their color. I didn't take their colors away. Oh, you mean you as a parent? You, as a you, parent, you, as a parent. you gave them right, false right. hope. Right, right. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying that we can't actually do this. Isn't like a shonen jump anime. We can't actually do every. We had a kind of similar discussion of this earlier off air, but you can't actually just be like, you know what? I'll just grind harder and saw like. You know what? If I want to make five million dollars in a year, I can just grind this. And if I'm if I don't have the skill to grind my way to the victory I want, I'll burn my own life force energy and I'll still win. <laughs> like you can't burn your own life force energy to beat Ray Day at pinball. That doesn't. It's not how it works. See, so that was my what was my attempted message right. was. I will never be that. See, the secret is 
is when you walk up to the machine, before you plunge the ball, you have to sit there and you have to clench your fist really tight and open your eyes really wide and scream at the sky and, and flex your muscles really strong and just uh, scream as loud as you can. And hopefully your hair will pop up a mm. couple of times. Maybe there'll be a little electricity bouncing right, right, around. Right. Then you plunge the ball and then it's just God mode. Yes. So literally, yeah, unfortunately, uh, Super Saiyan doesn't really fly with it. It's not so much Kami Kami Ha and more Kami Kami Nah is really kind of the, the angle that I that I'm presenting. Uh, and because not everyone and I learned this trying to uh, play basketball back in middle school uh, and I would practice and but I never got that good. Like I was awful, quite frankly. Now, I could have practiced more and probably gotten to a point where I wasn't awful. But I'd never have been great. Like I could tell I'd never like whatever it is, even saying all that aside, I'd never like, what about, you know, could you have been in the NBA? If you practice and practice and practice. I'm like, do you see how tall I am? No, because even if I had the skill set of, of NBA been- players, the height disadvantage would still mean I was a worse player against them, that it wouldn't make any sense to hire me. You see what I'm the uh, but. We're, we're getting off on, on an aside. So I'm not. So again, thank you, Shannon, for the inspirational words. My my main reason I play less competitive, competitive pinball now has nothing to do with winning or losing. It has to do with how long the tournaments take. Tony messaged me yesterday asking <laughs> if I was going to pinball. And I just thought about driving up, you know, 30 minutes to the 403 club, not getting my tacos because I do well enough that it's going to push close to nine, possibly. Right. Or Tony does. And we've carpooled. And then I don't get my tacos and then I'm taco grumpy and I still didn't win any money. And I spent, you know, four plus hours of my time, which is more than I would invest into one of my favorite films. And I'm just kind of like, no, I don't think I'll go today. It's kind of, a, I'd rather be lazy. Yeah. I think that's how I described it. Is I'm just going to sit and be lazy and watch Evo uh, fighting tournament, which I'm also not good enough to do. So in that regard, um, that was sort of my, that's the actual reason I don't play as much competitive pinball as, as I used to is because. It's just, it's a big time sink. Um, and that time I'm just, I've got so many other things I'm doing now. Like when I, when we started playing, we had this podcast, I do another podcast now. So I, I podcast every weekend and I do YouTube for my wristwatch yep. hobby. And I do that like every Saturday I do a live stream now because I'm trying to be consistent and all that other stuff. And then of course the job change stuff and a lot of that's been in the works for more than just like the last week. Like that stuff, this has been a process that's been taking a lot of my time. So in reality, I just have other things that compete with my time now. Uh, but last weekend you went, uh, you, well, you didn't, but I played pinball when we had people over. Uh, I hosted a game night. I guess I got to yep. put that in the intro. Uh, hosted a game night. So we actually played some video games. Uh, or at least I did. I did too. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. Street Fighter. I played yeah, we Street played Street Fighter six, and then a friend. I never up, made it down. I never made it down to pinball because no. we were talking. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's how it was. I had some people this that is, had this, to play pinball. So. This is old people. This is this is old yes. people game night. Where yeah, half of it is night. just us yeah, sitting around talking. We sometimes get emails or, me- or I get messages asking like, well, what, what, like, what is this game night like? I think we had that on our EGP Discord, which the link yeah. uh, to is in our in our show notes for people if you want to join it. There's there's no cost or anything. Uh, and someone asked about like, well, what games do you guys play in the game night? I'm like, well, game night's like 50-50 that any games are going to be played. Because it might just be old people sitting and talking and eating weird Canadian potato chips that David Dennis and from Civil Chronicles fails. Yeah, they, they, well, we didn't open all of them, uh, but I enjoyed both the all-dressed chips and the ketchup chips. I did. I did all, all, all dressed chips are so good. They're, they are my second favorite. I still haven't opened the Lay's ketchup chips, but I, I've had those before. Yeah. Uh, ketchup we chips the are good. Ones and stuff. The all-dressed are my second favorite type of chip mm. on the planet. Second to? Salt and vinegar. Oh, yeah, salt and vinegar. I do like salt and vinegar chips. Uh, my my personal favorite are probably uh, sour cream and onion. Then I, I don't buy them much anymore because I eat them too quickly. Yeah, well, that's where I am. See, I, I do the same thing with salt and vinegar, but then with salt and vinegar, you have the built in stop because your mouth starts. To exactly. Hurt. That's the one that see. That's the one reason I couldn't put them as as a, really a top chip is I like them so much, but eventually the tongue is like no no. The 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 mind is willing, but the body is not. It's perhaps right, a good right. way to describe. Well, see, it. the thing is, is I like salt and vinegar chips enough that, that that I'm capable to tell my to tell my tongue that take it, you like it, mm. and just keep going. Mm. Well, you are strong. I used to be able to eat all that all that sort of stuff. Like I used to eat warheads, atomic warheads, all the time. Mm-hmm. If I have more than two now, my tongue will bleed. Nice quality. Like, I, I'm weak. I'm soft now. 
Probably because I wasn't strong enough to win these pinball tournaments. <laughs> so let's make the last pinball topic, Tony, because I think we spent enough time with with uh, going over that email. I just uh, again, I didn't really have a lot of stuff, so I wanted to do a little discussion with you. It didn't need to be very long, but we've been talking a lot about releases this year in particular, especially back in March. Holy cow, were there a lot? Um, what do you think is the, what do you think of the state is of the current pinball market? And again, I didn't know where I wanted to take this, other than I thought maybe discussing what's happening. So we kind of mentioned this on the last episode, how, and I don't know if things have changed. I'm guessing not because I haven't heard, but I've been busy. Like how Venomellis didn't didn't sell out. Uh, the, and the, the, I wouldn't be surprised if they'll get there. But, right. but, you know, they didn't sell out day one. They didn't sell out week one. And so, you know, that, that sort of sh- shape up. Uh, there was an article. I don't have the link uh, because that just came to my mind, but I just read it, uh, I think, yesterday. The Kineticist uh, has a website, a uh, pinball website. It has a really nice article. It's a follow-up from one that I think uh, uh, someone wrote for This Week in Pinball a year ago, but analyzing the market, the used sales, like they they gather aggregate data based off of eBay and Pinside and stuff of confirmed sales. And while used pinball prices have inflated since last year, they only on average were up 5%. And based off of like breakdown categories, like early DMD, late DMD, all that, not all of those even went up. Like some went down. Like I think early, like the post 99 to uh, late DMD era went down in value. I don't remember exactly, but the bottom line is it wasn't like how it was in the pandemic where right. double digit percentage increases on used prices were happening. So that's all slowed. We're seeing a slowing on new purchases. I just mentioned Venom, but you and I are very well familiar with the fact that uh, there are plenty. It's easy to get uh, limited uh, and I mean high-end limited, like Godfathers and Toy Store. Like, there's just right. a lot of product. Everyone's got inventory now that's an official dealer of something. It might still be a little challenging to get like a Godzilla Premium, for example, or a Foo Fighters Premium. But like, if you want a Foo Fighters Pro or you want to go and get like a Rush, it's like not a big deal. So that's that is my groundwork. What do you just like? What do you think I of think, the pinball market right now? I think it mirrors the rest of the market i think everything is getting soft uh a lot of it just has to do with the overall increase in cost of everything and the overall amount of money that people have disposable uh compared to where they were five years ago uh compared to where a lot of the other stuff was uh at the build-up uh to covid and through covid uh i think it's a situation that will get better, but it's going to take a little while. I I think that it's a much wider thing than just the pinball market. I think we'll probably start seeing pretty decent drops, at least on the used market, uh, shortly, uh, even more than we have. I think the big difference will be just how long it takes before we start getting an overall stall, or even if we do get an overall stall to the new market. Do you think that the manufacturers have raised their prices too much? Yeah, I do. I think they've raised it too much uh, compared to what people are willing to go to because of overall market forces. But I don't know that the manufacturers necessarily had a choice just because of their increase in costs. Uh, they have, if they want to maintain the same kind of income, they had to increase. The question just becomes, was it what, what it worked because of how things were going through the pandemic? How well is it going to continue working now that inflation's up and everything's up and people just don't have the disposable income that they had three years ago? That's, I think that's the big question. I think, I don't really think we're going to see prices reduce, but it's entirely possible that we're going to see prices hold uh, for a while. Yeah, those are, and again, we often see these things pretty similarly. So I'm, I'm, I don't really have any dramatically different takes than you on the subject. Uh, I would in no way be surprised. In fact, I'm going to go ahead. I want to be. I want to be a little speculative. So I'll go ahead and predict when January comes around, we do not see the usual Stern price increase that we've been seeing for a number of years now. Now Stern has, by and large, done fairly consistent small 
very what you'd consider incremental price increases on their lines until we had the change with the Insider Connected, and then they like spiked the price of the pros up nine hundred dollars with that. Godzilla was the first with the Insider Connected built in from the word go. And they were selling the kits for like $400, but then there was this much bigger price increase beyond the Ansire Connected add-on that I think was them trying to account for the supply chain costs that were happening. And I don't think they have any intention of dropping that back, even as supply chain costs uh, probably, I w- I'm guessing, will loosen and go down because there's just, some of that price wasn't it was a scarcity because it's like you're competing with Ford to get chips. And so the price of chips has gone up. But once everything gets caught back up, those, those prices are going to come down. And I think a lot, I think Stern isn't going to be like, you know, let's, let's like give some of that profit back to the buyers. However, not totally unheard of. I mean, we did briefly talk about a couple episodes ago how the uh, Queen Pinball from uh, Pinball Brothers, they dropped $300 off the right. price. Uh, so, and I think. That may be uh, a sign of weakness on the fact that Pinball Brothers is looking at some shaky financial a situation. I don't think Stern's in, but shaky financials. Like they're like, we're not selling enough of these. Uh, if we want to sustain the business, we need to generate more queen sales. We're not ready to move to the next game yet. This is what we need to do. I'm more interested, or more curious, I should say, about Jersey Jack Pinball, which I think. Uh, horrifically overpriced their games when they moved to the twelve slash fifteen thousand dollar model line. Right, I think it made a lot of sense uh, for them to drop their standard edition because it was selling pretty poorly. Uh, a lot of people weren't really resonating with it. They dropped it after Guns and Roses, and are actually very shortly into the run of Guns and Roses because it was you know it was it was so stripped down. And so I understand the decision to move that way, and I kind of understand even. I should say even beyond kind of. I understand the desire for a company like Jersey Jack, which to me feels like it's trying to say we're going to be the Cadillac of the industry. So, of course, we're going to have the highest prices, but it's just it's too high. I, I And I think it's showing. And maybe we could say if it had been Toy Story 1 and not Toy Story 4 and if it had been Top Gun and not Godfather, that things would be different. But Guns N' Roses was significantly cheaper, and that's the last big hit they had was Guns N' Roses. Also at a time when uh, there was more disposable income and, more importantly, a lot of home disposable time. Right. Which, as you know, it's very, very different now. People are going and doing other you know, trips and vacations uh, with all the inflation that the economy has gone through. That the U.S. is not officially in recession is pretty impressive, but- Wage increases have not kept pace with the inflation pace, and that's putting pressure on people. Even people of means have to start making choices if they're wanting to maintain exactly the same standard that they've got because a lot of them, I mean, their investments are down and they're driving based off of a lot of investment. I mean, a lot of my portfolio and retirement has recovered from where the dips hit after sort of the collapse uh, at the end of the pandemic, but it's not like it's not like it's been making big gains. Right. It's, it's all been just part of that natural recovery cycle. So, in that regard, I think you're right uh, of those of those sort of things uh, um, being the big factors in play here at this stage. As, uh, Haggis, another good point. I think that they, I think that the pricing on Centaur is way too aggressive. Oh, I very much. I understand based off everything that happened with Fathom, they probably felt they needed to do it, and they've got added challenges because. Most of the sales I'm imagining are trying to become American sales, and they're just based so far away that they've got other add-ons that are just other costs that right. really put them in a tough in a tough situation. So I'm not sure again how sustainable that is, and I don't know how companies that are not doing well like they may have a good plan for the volume of sales they have with the staff size they have. I don't know how entities like American Pinball, and we've talked about our concerns with them uh, for quite a while now, because it doesn't seem like they move enough units for what size they are. Um, I, that's you know an, an interesting concern. Uh, so yeah, I I think that the used prices will probably come down. Is where to, down? We saw about again according to that piece on the Kineticist site about a five percent overall inflation increase. I don't think it'll be that much. Uh, comparing 2023 to 22 or whatever the next year, whatever the next uh, threshold, I don't remember the, uh, the, 
the periods of time that they're doing off the top of my head. But when they do the next one in a year, I don't think that inflation rate is 5%. I think it's less. And I don't know that it's actually a positive number. It's tough because I not sure how many sales are going to be newer games versus but I think the days are now finally done as they should be. Right. Where these newer titles are you don't lose any money. And I think that's part of the thing that's happening with with Venom and stuff. Producing a thousand LEs, that's a lot in wristwatches. It's ridiculous in in pinball. That's why we've always laughed at five thousand LEs from JJP. Right. It's, just, it's goofy. They didn't even sell that they didn't even sell out of that on GNR. It's like their most successful game. It's it doesn't make any sense to do numbers like that because it defeats the purpose. They're not special. They're easy to get. And so now they're you have completely people, not limited, right? limited. Yeah. And so now you're at a point where Stern, it used to be like, okay, they're selling out so quickly on the limiteds. They upped the count to a thousand, not all that long ago. But now when those things don't fly off the shelf immediately, people wonder, will I buy a limited and lose money on it? Yeah, probably you should. Right. Well, and I think in, I think it's realistic to expect to buy something uh, that you use and then sell used for less than you purchased it. That's not a flaw. That's not a problem. That should be normal. Mm-hmm. So I, I think um, we're going to see new games in particular. That's where I think most of the struggle will be used. There's a lot of product out there now. I think there are going to be more people getting out of pinball, selling their pinball machines off. Um, that will be willing to take losses because they're going to be realize they're not playing them anymore. They're doing other things. They're not in pandemic mode. Right. I think that's going to, well, I'm sure that started to happen. I think it's going to happen more as people have like, people just get to the point where they're like, I don't ever turn those things on. Why do I have so many or whatever? Uh, if they're not like, they were only into it because of, because of the pandemic, just like we used to see. And I don't check as much as I used to. So again, I might not be totally accurate, but uh, just based off of my experience with within the pinball network, a lot of people got into pinball streaming in the pandemic and they do not stream anymore. Right. And they might not have yet reached like mentally reached the point of recognizing that they are in fact not a streamer anymore, but a lot of them just aren't. Maybe they haven't figured it out yet, but they aren't because they're not doing it. Right. Because there's just something occupied their time when they couldn't do anything else. They don't want to go to the work of doing it anymore, and I don't blame them. So I think uh, we're going to probably like those. I've heard, I think it was, uh, I don't remember which podcast I was listening to, but someone had said they were still finding a few dealers that were trying to charge more than MSRP for the Venom LEs. <laughs> those, and they hadn't sold them. Right. No shock. Um, yeah. I think those days are done. I think a lot of uh, customer service orientation on distribution is going to be very much a focus. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some distributors get out of this game at this point, because I think it's going to be harder to move units, uh, harder to estimate how much they need. And if people are smart who stayed in the hobby, they will remember those that gouged and burned them in the pandemic and drop them at this point now that they don't now that it's easy to find anyone with the game you want. So, because I, you know, those sort of people that go over MSRP as authorized, I'm never like, I, I personally think that pinball companies should have contracts with their distributors that say you can't sell over MSRP or you lose your, you lose your contract. I think that's a good, that's idea. common in a lot of other things. I mean, yeah. again, we saw it even with cars, like there were dealers able to charge more. Oh, yeah. So, but it's like that, that time is done now. So we're moving on. And I'm a big fan of punishing those that hurt you when times were tight. So, um, so I would just recommend that. But yeah, I think we're going to see this. It's a softening of the market. I think it's absolutely asinine to argue otherwise at this stage. Not that I'm hearing other people argue that. I just thought it would be a fun topic for us to talk about. <laughs> so speaking of other fun topics, uh, video games, I know you have a few pieces of news. And then just you a little a, bit. Not you have a, a discussion lot. for us, too. So. A discussion. We're having a discussion-heavy episode. Yes. I think uh, I'm going to name this episode Discussion Corner. Discussion Corner? Dun, 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 no, no song. We don't have a discussion corner song yet. Sorry, I thought you were going to sing the Eva fighting song, and I've heard it like for forty-five minutes on loop, and I can't—I <laughs> cannot bear to hear any music right now because any of it could sound like that with its lyrics that make no sense. But continue <laughs> discussing games by moonlight. Okay, we'll stop there. Mm-hmm. We will stop there. <laughs> okay, in realities. Baldur's Gate 3 came out. Oh. And it has been huge. It is the second highest selling game on Steam this year. Oh, what? The only, second to what? 
Hogwarts. Legacy. Oh yeah, that's right. That was this year. That was it feels yeah. like it feels like it was a year ago. It does. Time feels weird. This it does. Year, but mm-hmm. uh, it's selling great. Um, I I had a I've Baldur's Gate is one of those games that I've dabbled with, but it's never been a huge thing for me. But I had a feeling it was going to be huge uh, when I've had multiple people that work for me that have just basically spent the last two and a half weeks talking about Baldur's Gate oh, really? and Baldur's okay. Gate on the way. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever played a Baldur's Gate. I've dabbled hmm. in one of the old ones, like two, I think. So is it an RPG or what? It is. It's okay. basically D&D. It, it's like... okay. Yeah, it, it, it's D&D, uh, RPG, but uh, its it sales have gone very well. It's only on PC currently. It's mm. coming to PlayStation soon uh, with a follow-up to uh, Xbox at a later date, I believe. Is yeah, the after they buy the company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, but it's, it, it's, we'll see. I don't know. I'll talk to, uh, I, I'm sure, uh, one of the, one of, one of the, my guys that I worked with, his and his wife are both huge fans and they were both getting copies because it's a single player game and their plan was to spend this entire weekend just playing Blue Skate. Mm. Now, so. do you think if Microsoft were to buy this IP, would they rename it to Bill's Gates? No. Bill's Gates 3. <laughs> no, they don't want to lose the sales. That, that, uh, they, that's okay. how they would subtitle it. It'd be Baldur's Gate 4, Bill's Gate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but speaking of Microsoft and Xbox, we got an announcement that Final Fantasy 14 is launching on Xbox next spring. This surprised me because it feels like Square doesn't do anything with Microsoft. Square doesn't really do anything now, with I, Microsoft. I've never really interpreted that as anything other than Sony seems to just sew up everything that uh that And that's Square what it's does. been. Because I mean there was a point in time with some of the older Xboxes mm. that you'd see Square stuff. Sure. Making. Yeah, Final Fantasy 11 was on uh, yeah. 360 and But 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 it's not been for a while cuz uh Sony and PlayStation have, have sewed everything up, which made it even more interesting that the uh, Square Enix CEO uh, also announced that there will be other Square games coming to Xbox. Hmm. I wonder if some time exclusivity has expired. Uh, that's what I'm wondering. Or if there was a something in the the a, a shadowy backdoor handshake handshake deal with everything going on over Call of Duty and the buyouts and everything hmm. on the backside. I hadn't considered that. Uh, uh, but. It'll be interesting to see what other uh, Square Enix games make it to. The big one to me will be, will we see the newest Final Fantasy anytime soon? And I don't see how it's possible. But we could see some of the older Final Fantasies. Right. I, I would lean more towards the latter as well. I think Sony will want to keep a, at least a significantly timed exclusivity on the newest Final Fantasy if they can help it. I would assume so. far, so. they've always been able to help it. So Yeah, they have. And that's because... They just passed the forty million sold mark on yep. on five. Doing very so, well. Probably be higher uh, if they hadn't had such supply chain issues. Right, I'm sure on. it would. Uh, because up until honestly earlier this year, you couldn't just walk in and buy one. No, you would have to hunt no for switch. Them. Uh, speaking of switch, mm. that's not in my notes. They have announced uh, their next generation console comes out next year. Real okay. So no, I no idea is what it is, but. Well, hopefully they don't call it Switchu. <laughs> I mean, come on. It seems like every other release they Switch screw up something really basic. Switch control. Switchu. 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 Switch cube. <laughs> I, I, I have a feeling that they're not going to leave the Switch style model. My yeah. guess is, in all honesty, it's been it's going to be the long hinted at, uh, always denied, uh, higher fidelity, higher capability mm. Switch. That people have talked about Nintendo's always like, no, 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 no. We have no plans. We have no plans. But then you see like the Steam Deck, who doesn't? Mm. So my guess is it's going to be the Switch version of that. And that especially to me plays in with all of the discussion uh, with them signing a 10-year deal with Microsoft for Call of Duty. Because Call of Duty on the current Switch architecture would be weird. Mm. But Call of Duty on a higher power Switch architecture would work much better. So that's my guess of what that whole thing works out to be. Okay. I think that's pretty reasonable. Um, Diablo 4's 
first really big patch came out and it crashed and burned so bad. Don't you all have Necromancy? I, 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 I've honestly not played Diablo since the day the patch came out mm. because it nerfed my character so bad. Mm-hmm. I didn't care anymore. Right. Because I went from, I was already playing the weakest class. Yes. And sorcerer. Yes. I was playing sorcerer. I was playing a, a very good build of sorcerer. It was the weakest class. It was hilarious when I do group stuff and there were other players around and I watched them just mow through stuff that I had to like chew through slowly. Uh, but I was having fun. They, when after the nerf came out, it got to the point where fights that literally the day before I would chew through and it wouldn't be that bad and it would be fun would be a slog hoping to survive. I went from using health potions maybe once or twice a fight to wiping my health potion content out in a fight. It was, I would be starting to actively worry. Uh, I fought a boss that honestly should not have been a huge problem. And I had to redo the fight five times. And wow. I, and, and at that point, it's more I, like Diablo souls at yeah, that point. I was just like, I'm, I'm done. And I've, I, I've not booted Diablo since, uh, because they were trying to fix issues, uh, where <laughs> the joke is they, 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 they found the bug where players were having fun. Mm. So they patched it out. All right. I'm I'm assuming the problem was, and we've seen this with other like uh, MMOs in particular, is people get through the content so quickly That's that what they, it was. they can't keep up with like new release or whatever, so they try and slow it back. People were getting through content too fast, so they nerfed every class, so they all did less damage, had less health, did less of everything. They nerfed all of the events and all of the like end game stuff. They, 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 they nerfed it all so that it was harder and rewarded you less for completing it. And, uh, like there's a PVP event that even if you get in with only a couple minutes left, you could get a little something. And they nerfed it so much that if you couldn't spend at least 15 minutes on the PVP event, it's not worth your time. So it they literally just murdered that entire event. Nobody even did it anymore. Uh, because if you couldn't be there when it started, it wasn't worth your time because you didn't get, you wouldn't get anything a lot of times. Or if you did get something, you wouldn't get enough to be worth the time you spent. Uh, so they, they, they hurt themselves so badly across the board that they had to do a fireside chat where they literally said, Hey, we screwed up. And they talked about all the changes they're going to make to fix it. And they did several hot patches to fix several things. Uh, and they've got larger patches coming in and they will. And they did say that it's like, there's always going to be balancing to try and keep the classes fair, but there's not necessarily going to try and balance everything all at once because it caused such a backlash. So, uh, it was definitely, a primary issue, something that, that tore them up, uh, and hurt their fan base heavily. Uh, placed numbers are very far down. So, uh, for something that's designed to be a living game, that's always a bad sign. Yes. Always easier to lose people than to bring them back. Right. So we'll see, uh, how their patches going forward and their hot fixes go, but I have not been willing to step back into it, uh, as of yet since. I walked away from it. Um, just, I haven't had a lot of time to play anything lately, and I wasn't going to play something that was just annoying me. So, uh, but that's all I really have for like new stuff. But mm-hmm. I thought I'd have a discussion uh, or a beginning of a discussion because this discussion is going to be much too large to do uh, in a single episode. I thought that we would. Be for the listeners. They've heard some of our backgrounds. Uh, they know some of our, our likes and dislikes and our histories with video games. And I thought we would talk about different gaming genres and gaming franchises and just maybe take slightly deeper dives into the genres to, about which genres we like and which franchises we like. And then at later dates, uh, other times we can take a deep dive into something specific, uh, that really strikes people's interest. So. Uh, I thought we'd open up with talking about what I would consider the first real 
common genre that most people in our age bracket play, which was going to be the platformer mm. because that's what most early like NES style games yeah. were. That's what the Mario's were. The Metroidvanias are platformers with extras. Most of what we played back in the day were platformers. So I thought maybe we'd sit down here for just a little bit and just talk about our thoughts on platformers, both that we remember from back in the day and now, because I can tell you right now, I'm not a big fan of platformers anymore, but I used to be. I know I used to play a lot of platformers and I love platformers, but nowadays I really get bored of a platformer real fast. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe the thing to note with platformers is there are different, as there are often with many broad genres, there are different flavors to it. So mm-hmm. for me, most of my platforming experience falls into two categories. There's the more pure platformer, usually that uh, end up relying a lot on platforming uh, elements that become more and more difficult to execute on. And then there's like the Metroidvanias and stuff where, yeah, they they do get more challenging as you play, but sometimes it's not actually the platforming element that's the hard part. It really depends on the game. Right. But uh, so as I've gotten older, I, I play platformers less overall. Um, my tolerance on pure platforming is much more limited than it used to be. Uh, and my acceptance of the more mixed style, like the Metroidvania style, I still have found that, th- again, depending on how they approach it, uh, that that format can work for me. Uh, but if the difficulty ceiling gets too high, that there's too many repetitive deaths, sort of like trying to get through the one area, my frustration levels are at the point where I generally will will abandon the game rather than master it. Right. And I don't even have to go all that far back necessarily. Um Otherwise, but the thing is, I never historically played a lot of Metroidvania styles, uh, whereas I probably play more of them now than I used to. But it's still, a, it's a sometimes food. I don't, I don't touch those all that often. And I used to, uh, especially once I was an adult, but not as old as I am now, obviously, with pure platformers, uh, I'd sometimes get in the mood for one. And so then I'd get one and almost binge it, really. Uh, and then I'd take a big break like half a year or a year, and then maybe pick up another one and kind of do that and take a break. Um, so that's that'd be my initial like groundwork, I guess, statement on that. So are you thinking, what are you thinking of in terms of like particular uh, franchises? Or- I mean, just the particular, like I think specifically when I think about just the larger uh, scope of this type of genre, uh, the ones that jump to mind is obviously all of the early Mario's uh, and, and games of that of that ilk of the NES and the early Super NES eras uh, come to mind. The one I can think of most recently that I've played and that I can guarantee, and it wasn't that recent, was only really fun because we did it as a group. Was like uh, Meat Boy, Super Meat Boy. Uh, was that what it was called? No. No, Explosion Man. Explosion Man. Explosion yeah. Man is the one I'm thinking of. Explosion Man. Uh, that was a game that it was a lot of fun as a group, but I, I can't see myself have ever been try, even trying to play that game. Uh, like, I was watching some of the platformers on the, the very specifically designed for speedrunner platformers that we saw during uh, Awesome Games Done Quick uh, or Summer Games Done Quick that were interesting to watch, but I can't fathom how somebody would have any enjoyment from even playing it. Uh, some of the kind of crazy pixel perfect stuff. Uh, I would say the most recent game that I've played that would fall into this category that I've kind of enjoyed was the Shantae series, uh, the Shantae half genie hero games. Okay. Yep. Uh, and, but it's funny to me because, like, when I was younger, that's the type of game that I played all the time, both because that was the primary game out there, but also because I really enjoyed them. I don't have nearly the enjoyment of, like, going back to, like, Mario 3 as I did when Mario 3 was originally out or back in the day when we would play, um, oh, see, the Mario games were, were real big back then, uh, the more Ghouls and Goblins. I remember oh, okay. yeah. that, that's going way back. 
uh, uh, that that series, I remember playing a lot of that. That was one of the games I actually owned as a kid, so that I played a ton of that series, and it was very much that platformer Metroidvania style. And of course, the Mega Man's. I tried to play. I got the Mega Man Ultimate Collection a couple of years ago on Steam for super cheap, and I tried to play it. And I, I wow, that game is much harder than I remember it being. Uh, I spent probably an hour or more before I beat the first level. And I was like, I, I think I'm done for a while. And I've not turned that game on since. So, uh, <clears throat> it's just interesting to me that how much of it has changed over the years. Uh, and I think the pure platformers have really floated away into a more specialized niche thing where I think the Metroidvanias have become the more common of that style of game to still exist. Uh, I just don't know how much draw it has in this day and age. Yeah. Uh, I think the reason, I mean, when I hear platformer, I still always just sort of defaultly think Mario as the first thing, but I haven't owned a Nintendo system in a really long time. Uh, well, and I wouldn't, I don't even know that I would say the newest Nintendo games are, or the newest Mario games are necessarily platformers. They're almost more adventure games. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, you know, the, they, they mix up the gimmicks more, uh, ever since it went 3D, but obviously the first, like, in 64 one was still very platformery, I mm-hmm. think, but, but yeah, they've, they've tried to mix things up because again, it's more of a, it's more about continuing the character and the lore in the world. And kind of like how, uh, with RPGs where you could used to be able to, and I think probably still to this day, rely on final fantasy to want to mix up the gameplay mechanics. Like you, you went into final fantasy knowing, okay, you're probably going to see like chocobos and, 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 uh, tonberries and stuff, but the way the game would play would change depending on which version it was. I have, um, I play, as I mentioned, I play more Metrovanias more now than I used to. For example, uh, earlier this year, I played Bloodstained Curse of the Moon, which is very much a inspired by in the spirit of Castlevania game. And Castlevania uh, was like, I played Simon's Quest on the NES and I basically very rarely played much uh, Castlevania after that point. Right. I did one like on the 360 that was a kind of a group game to do. Um, I played other Metroidvanias. Uh, I played one of the Strider games uh, not all that long ago within the last year. Uh, oh, Ninja Gaiden. Ninja Gaiden, I played one of the 3D, like the 3D one that was like a game on the 360. But I think of that more as a hack and slash, really. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't like the old school ones, which were true. I was thinking the first, the very, yeah. very first on NAS Ninja Gaiden. Uh, the. Now there is a format. This isn't. It kind of falls in between the two, where there's a lot of uh, maybe more climbing and platforming. Like the newer Tomb Raiders and stuff were pretty fun, right? Uh, and it's been a while since though they've had more of those. So I I still like that format, and I'm I'm much more open to accepting that sort of format. The pure pure platformers, especially the what we might think of like how sh- uh, you know shmups have bullet hell, and then you have like Souls style RPGs where deaths are super common. Um, Explosion Man, in my mind, kind of fell into that category. There was a lot of perfection stuff that was needed. As Tony mentioned, we we played that one as a group. I played that and Ms. Explosion Man. Um, and they were they got hard, but not not unbreakably hard. The thing is, I don't know if I could I could do it anymore. Uh, I th- probably could, but I think one of the things with platformers, other than tastes have evolved over time, and we came from an era where a lot of early NES games were basically, they were doing the quarter eater approach and right. so platformers were a great way to eat quarters. Cause you had to basically get down muscle memory. Uh, N plus was a, was a very hard platformer that I could not finish that I played a lot of the last one, uh, that I really ground out and was successful in doing was the one you initially thought was explosion man, a uh, super meat boy, which I think started as a flash game. I had super meat boy, on the 360, there was a little, uh, you know, the 360 had avatars and you could get like little clothes and stuff and you'll make you make or dress up your avatar. They also sometimes had props and Super Meat Boy, if you could finish the game, the main game, you didn't have to go into Cotton Cotton Candy Alley or whatever it was called, which was like a, another mode where you played the, the, the meat thing you were trying to rescue, uh, but played as her. Um, you got a little, uh, little animated meat boy and i was like i want that little meat boy guy so 
I got through and and won Super Meat Boy, regular game, Super Meat Boy. It, I think that was my breaking point because it was so difficult. There were so, I mean, Super Meat Boy constantly celebrated because I was one of the, the gimmicks was once you got through the level, it would then replay and show you all your deaths uh, all at once. You'd see right. all your little meats going around and getting, getting pwned and all of that. And so I actually was able to go and, and get through the end and then and and finish that up. And that was the that was the breaking point where I was like, I won't put that much time into platformers anymore to master them. Like I have Orion Will of the Wisps. It's a fun game. Uh, it's got more than just platforming elements, but I got stuck on a platforming section. I tried it across two days. I've not picked the game back up. Yeah, see, and that's like like my kids love the Ori games. Uh, they love A Hat in Time. Uh, both of my kids deeply love A Hat in Time. It, it, for them, that's like their Super Mario 3 type touchstone of that genre game because they both play it a lot. Uh, my, my eldest daughter has beaten the game in multiple times in multiple ways. Uh, so that, that's their, their type of thing. I, I, I've watched them play it. I have zero interest in actually playing it after watching them play it, but it, it's interesting to me, the evolutions and how it has, how it has changed while still kind of maintaining over the yeah, years. So at this point, the way I would describe it is, uh, I enjoy games that have platforming elements to them. And I am willing to, whether well, it's not my favorite genre, uh, I am willing to play a well-designed like Metrovania style game where the platforming is maybe more in the realm of how will you deal with traversing the space. And a lot of that traversing is figuring out how to cope with the enemies right? versus the pure platforming approach of you're going to like, you need frame perfect jumps and avoid all the spot, like all that, the super meat boy, explosion man style. If there was another explosion man, honestly, I'd probably pick it up and play it. But, but that's not, I don't look for those games anymore. I used to always get a hankering for one and I would play one like an N plus or whatever. I, not anymore. I just, I never have the design. Yeah. Whereas a, a Metroidvania though, style platforming, the more platform light, that stuff can still appeal to me, even if it's a hard game. Now, whether or not I can't get, you know, if I get frustrated and stall out on it, like Ori's got combat and all this other stuff going on with it. And it frustrated me. So I stalled right. out on it. So my tolerance is lower than it used to be. I think my last big draw towards platforming was when Mario maker came out mm. and it quickly became people were making the show off levels. People were making fun levels and people were making levels just that require you to be godlike. Mm -hmm. And those cease to be fun. Sure. So it, it's just, it's a certain, I mean, it and I've seen like, it's uh, like a games done quick people getting these ones where they have to figure it out on the fly. And it's fascinating to see people that can quickly master a platformer of the, that difficulty. Right. Absolutely fascinating. But that's not me. Yeah. Refer back to why I can't beat the great set pinball. It's like they've got something. <laughs> there's like a speed runny uh, platform gene, and mine was turned off. There, 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 there's turned a little, there's a little speed runner switch yeah. in the brain somewhere that mm -hmm. gets thrown. Yeah, but there we go. That was my little discussion. I thought oh, so. Okay. We talk about yeah, and we can. Uh, People could write into us if they want to suggest what the next genre would. If be. you have a genre or a specific franchise that you'd like us to talk more about our thoughts on specific franchises. Mm -hmm. I'll let you on a little secret. Your most beloved franchise. It's very possible that it's not our most beloved franchise mm -hmm. or that we've never even played it. That's true. So, you know, be a little cautious, with so, that. but so, you won't know until you suggest until you ask. It's entirely possible. There could be some mm -hmm. secret franchise down there that, that we've never hinted at that we absolutely love and that, uh, we'll go deep into talking about. Yep. So, but uh, until next time, if you want to suggest that or give us any feedback about the episode, you can always email us at eclecticgamerspodcast.gmail.com. You can also reach us at facebook.com slash eclecticgamerspodcast. You can choose to support the show as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash eclectic underscore gamers. We're on Twitch and Instagram at as eclectic underscore gamers. And uh, don't forget, there's a link in the show notes to our Discord. Yes. And folks... Uh, next episode is our 200th. We made it. I, I don't know what that means. Well, we haven't made it yet, but we will have made it in two weeks. And then we will talk a little bit more. But until that episode, my name is Dennis. I'm Tony. Goodbye, everybody. See ya.